episode 114 of The Virtual Couch. I'm your host, Tony Overbay. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, certified mindful habit coach, writer, speaker, husband, father of four, ultra marathon runner, and creator of The Path Back, an online pornography addiction recovery program that is helping people reclaim their lives from pornography addiction. If you or anyone that you know is struggling with pornography addiction or any type of compulsive sexual behavior, please point them to pathbackrecovery.com. There you can download a short ebook that describes five common mistakes that people make when trying to overcome pornography addiction. Again, that is pathbackrecovery.com. And uh, please continue to send in any examples of gaslighting. There has been a lot of interest around any episode that I do whatsoever that has anything to do with gaslighting. And so I've got a lot of good feedback in so far. And I'm going to turn that into an episode, if not another podcast. So please, you can send those to contact at tonyoverbay.com or contact at pathbackrecovery.com. And uh, if you have a second, follow me on Instagram at Virtual Couch or on Facebook at Tony Overbay Licensed Marriage and Family Therapist, or go to TonyOverbay.com and sign up there to get more information on upcoming and exciting news. And with that said, I always uh, have enjoyed when podcasts I listen to will kind of talk about the process of some of the things that they might be involved in that they've never done before. And one of those things is I think I've alluded to in the past that I I am uh, I signed a book deal. So I'm super excited about that and also incredibly nervous And boy, I got to go back and do another podcast on procrastination because I am just uh, I'm learning a lot about myself where writing a draft of a book and I'm writing it with a co-author and there'll be a lot more information on that coming up soon. And uh, we actually were just fortunate enough to get uh, more than one um, contract back. So we were able to even take a look at some of them and we went with one that we really like. But then once you sign that contract, you there is a deadline. And I did not know that there sometimes are even some financial um, incentives or and or financial penalties if you don't hit a deadline. And so you really got to get on your game. And it's funny because I think what, what I'm uh, the most worried about is that whole um, there's the imposter syndrome that's kicking in there. But there's also this concept that I remember when I was struggling with starting the, the podcast. And I had a client at the time who was an author who did pretty well as an author. And um, this person had mentioned to me the fear of just finally letting go of a manuscript and just knowing that it's going to be out there and people are going to critique it. And uh, this person just said, you have to kind of let that go. And and that helped a lot with the podcast, although still every episode, here we are on episode 114, and that still goes through my mind every time that here is this thing that is going to be out there on the interwebs and the universe that people can critique. But so for some reason, the the concept of that with a hard copy of a book is is just right there and it's strong again of just you know what if what if it doesn't make sense what if people poke holes in it but uh but it's a topic that i'm really passionate about so i'm really excited for the opportunity and i need to get on and start writing so uh, more information on that coming up soon so today's podcast the topic was i'm i'm in a new office and this is something that i haven't done in five years six years and uh, and I'm excited about it. I feel like it's the first day of school. I feel like I got my new school clothes on and I'm I'm just really excited. I uh, can't wait for my first client to show up. But the, I just kept thinking about the concept of change and how, especially as a therapist, you work a lot with people who are nervous or frightened about change. And I remember going to a training so long ago that I can't even uh, I can't even really recall who gave the training. And I've looked for this data online ever since. And, and I haven't been successful in finding I found variations of it. But the person talked about the percentage of people that end up with the satisfaction or that change was a good thing. And it was a really high percentage. And uh, the presenter talked about when you change, it's not just you know the, the pop psychology view is you're running away from your problems. But in reality, a lot of times you are, you are, you're kind of hitting a reset and you are now in front of, you got new streets, you got new restaurants, you got new paths to walk and run. 
you have new, um, just new, you have a lot of new things. So the big difference becomes, what do you do with that new? If you, if you hunker down and hide from the new, and then you just think about the old constantly, then yeah, maybe that is kind of running away from your problems or not really embracing where you're at. But if you go into that new area and here's that acceptance and commitment therapy model of, of course, you're going to be a little bit nervous because you're a human being and, and change can be scary. But then what do you do with that? What is that a productive thought? It's a normal thought, but is it productive around just really embracing your new environment? So that's what I'm trying to do here today. And, uh, and I'm, I'm excited about it. But in the midst of trying to find some evidence-based research to share about change, I actually stumbled upon something that I thought was really interesting. And so I just thought I'd do a quick podcast on that today. Uh, because I, I truly was trying to get my little studio here set up and I could not find the source of where I could hear a humming in the background. I finally tracked that down. So in, in doing some of that research around change, I ran into a phrase called repetition compulsion. And I really found that kind of fascinating. And so I did a little bit more digging on that. And repetition compulsion answered one of these questions that I run into in therapy a lot. In particular, when I'm working with people who have just gone through a breakup or a, a divorce. And oftentimes the person will say things like, I can't trust myself to go back out into the dating world or to go back into the relationship world, or I wouldn't, I could never anticipate getting married again because my, I always, this is my phrase, but I feel like they constantly say, obviously my picker's broken because, you know, I'm, I keep picking these people that are not healthy. And what's that about? And, and I kind of look at that as uh, there's a little bit of an acceptance and commitment therapy challenge there where it's going to be normal to feel that way, especially if you're coming off of one or more bad marriages or breakups that of course you're going to feel like your picker is broken, but now we're working on it. We've got some data to work with. So when I get to see someone through a divorce, through a breakup, uh, that's when the fun fun really begins when now you start to get them back out into the lab or the dating world, that sort of thing. And you really are looking at now red flags and what are things that uh, maybe you have missed in the past. And now you have a sensei, a guru, a guide, a therapist, a life coach, you name it, who is going to help you now look for those blind spots. And I think that's the key. The hard part is still trying to diffuse from some of those blind spots when somebody is uh, unwilling to kind of really admit that they are seeing blind spots and someone who is all of a sudden now um, paying attention to them and is excited to, uh, to go on dates with them. But, uh, but I think that this competition, competition, this, uh, this uh, concept of repetitive com repetition compulsion comes into play here. So I found a really neat article. It's, uh, it's a few years old, but it's by a guy named Stephen Diamond, and he's a PhD. He's a clinical and forensic psychologist. Actually, as I looked him up, he's down in the LA area. He's got a nice website, drstephendiamond.com. But I think I want to try to, I mean, I've never talked to him before. I'm going to reference his article here, but uh, I'm looking to interview a forensic psychologist again to talk about just how do you, what do you look for when you're doing these forensic evaluations to declare competency for somebody who is standing trial? And I'm just fascinated by that aspect of the business. So I might have to reach out to uh, Dr. Diamond. But in this article, this is, a, it says this is, a, this is from Psychology Today, I believe. And it is, yeah, Psychology Today. And it's an excerpt from Dr. Diamond's book. And this was, again, a few years ago. And at the time, it said, forthcoming book, Psychotherapy for the Soul, 33 Essential Secrets for Emotional and Spiritual Self-Healing. But so what I love is, I'll jump right into it. I'm going to quote him a lot. And, I, and uh, so I want to give him all the credit for this article. But then I'll give some thoughts on this, too. 
But he says one of the most common phenomenon psychotherapists deal with is a chronic pattern of dysfunctional relationships. Um, and that is something that, as I'm kind of alluding to, that you see. And especially if someone's been through one or two dysfunctional relationships, then they feel like something is wrong with them. He said that the person's partners tend to share consistent similarities, such as physical or emotional abuse or unavailability, substance abuse, instability, narcissism, etc. And he said in each relationship eventually ends badly because of these repetitive dynamics. So after a while, they start to become apparent even to the client, or he, he calls it the patient. So the therapeutic question becomes, why would anybody persist in pursuing relationships that are doomed to failure? Um, and, and as he says, as Dr. Diamond says, there is no simplistic or singular explanation for self-destructive or self-defeating behaviors. But uh, one part of the puzzle has to do with fear of intimacy and maybe fear of intimacy with the opposite sex. And so he says, if we unconsciously fear the opposite sex, then how do we relate intimately with them? How do we relate to them intimately? Instead, we defend ourselves from true intimacy with, he says, thorny defenses that keep the other at arm's length, or we choose partners incapable of intimacy. And since this is done unconsciously, that's the key. It's done unconsciously. We're not even really aware that we're doing this. Then it becomes a repetitive pattern, and it ultimately undermines and sabotages every relationship that we try to create. But here's where that uh, term repetition compulsion comes from. He says there's another insidious phenomenon frequently afoot. It is what Freud called, so we're going deep, deep psychotherapy, psychodynamic psychotherapy to Sigmund Freud uh, to talk about repetition compulsion. So he says a repetition compulsion is a neurotic defense mechanism. So here's how it works. The repetition compulsion is an attempt to rewrite history, and that is what is key. So the history that we're trying to rewrite is typically the troubled relationship with our parents. Here we go, particularly the parent of the opposite sex. So when the early parental relationship is, is fraught with frustration or there's disappointment there or abandonment or neglect or abuse or rejection, then that child is put in an interesting spot psychologically. Uh, Dr. Diamond says in order to survive these, what he calls narcissistic insults, children must deny the reality of their predicament. And, and I've watched that in therapy before. Sometimes when I was a very shiny new therapist, still new therapist smell, um, I might get a, a young teenager in there. And one of the hardest things for them to do is talk about their relationship with their parents because they feel like they're doing something wrong. Um, as a matter of fact, still, as I work with older teenagers today, I will often say, hey, you know what? I know that it can be difficult to talk about your parents and this is a safe place and I want you to be able to express your frustrations. And I would expect that my kids would do the same if they're sitting across from somebody in my position as well. Um, although secretly, man, that frightens me, you know, but uh, but that's what they need. So a lot of times that uh, kids, teens, they deny the reality of the predicament that they're in, um, as well as their, what Dr. Diamond says, their intense anger or depression or despair. So a lot of times when I have a teenager in here, I will, I will go ahead and kind of, you know, and it's, this is after we built a little bit of rapport, but uh, kind of say, hey, we can start every, you know, let's go ahead and just say, hey, bless their hearts, bless that, you know, I know they're trying their best and all of those sort of things, because those are, those are often true. And so, but my job is just to, to collect the data and what are the frustrations that a teenager is having. And in this situation, you know, again, if we're looking back at the relationship with their parents, um, this is a lot of times where we feel bad, especially if our parent is, you know, heaven forbid they passed away. Uh, that a lot of times we feel like, well, you know, I'm not just going to come in here and pile on my parents. But uh, so what we do, though, and here's what's interesting with this uh, repetition compulsion, then instead he says we cling to hope, childish hope, that if we can be good or perfect or smart or quiet or funny enough, that then we will win over mom or dad or they, they will finally love us as we need them to be um, as we are unconditionally. So and, and that's, you know, again, I don't want any judgment around that whole concept. 
But uh, that's the thing where now as adults in particular, we know that we have our own baggage, our own things that we're dealing with. And sometimes we don't handle that as well as we should with our kids. But that is not the fault of our kids, although a lot of times that's what they pick up on. So now we've got this pattern where um, our kids have uh, possibly felt like throughout their lives that they have they could just do the right thing, say the right thing, be funny enough, whatever, that uh, then they will get our attention, that we will love them as they need them to be. And then as as adults, that's where we're coming from, too. I mean, you know, I'm pushing 50 and you still want to hear your parents tell you that you do a nice job. Um, it's just kind of uh, it's kind of inherent in our DNA. So the child, Dr. Diamond said, mistakenly believes the problem with the parental re- interaction resides with them. That's that's the tough part. Where oftentimes then, you know, when I am working with a teenager and I don't work with younger kids, but I would imagine that uh, there's a whole lot to work with there, too, where with teenagers, a lot of times they really do feel like that, you know, if they could just do something different, then it would affect them. They, they would they would really change the relationship with their parents. And I know it, you know, the, the truth is a lot of things they could do um, differently would have a positive and or negative impact on the relationship with their parents. But uh, but I think that what what we're talking about here, especially what Freud was talking about with this. Um, repetition compulsion is the concept of where, you know, we're trying to, we're trying to figure this out now in our adult years of what we could have done as a child to improve that relationship without even knowing really the reality of what that relationship was like or what the relationship uh, challenges were like, even for the parent and if the parent had the tools to know what to do with them and, and so on and so forth. So, so Dr. Diamond says, as we try desperately to do so, to rectify um, this parental interaction that as we try to do that over and over again, and we, as we don't find success with that, because he says the reality is the problem lies not with the child, with the parent, who, because of their own psychological or situational limitations, they were unable or unwilling to provide the love or structure or acceptance that was required to help the child thrive and deserve this unconditional love. So Dr. Diamond says, naturally, no parents are perfect. And so we all go through this in one way or the other, just as our parents did. The hope is that being able to change the parent's response by becoming what what we perceive he or she wants us to become. And then that wards off what uh, there's a psychoanalyst in the 90s, James Masterson's terms, um, abandonment depression. So as long as we cling to hope, we avoid sinking into despair, which particularly for a child would be devastating. So think about that. Uh, and that's a concept that Dr. Diamond shares a little bit here, that as long as we're clinging to hope, and that's even hope in our, in our current relationships, uh, that as long as we, we cling to that hope that we avoid sinking into despair, which would be devastating. So he says in adulthood, this childhood scenario is unconsciously and compulsively uh, recapitulated or done over and over again by most of us to some extent. He says our, quote, inner child, and I remember when I was in grad school and I was saying, I'm going to work with the present. I'm not going to worry about this inner child stuff. But holy cow, the inner child stuff comes out a ton. So he says our inner child is still active and it still is seeking to turn the rejecting or ambivalent or emotionally unavailable or abusive adult into a loving one. And that adult is now represented by the partner that is in front of us. So now it's not the parent of the opposite sex, but it's a potential love interest. So symbolic stand-ins is what uh, Dr. Diamond calls it. So he says that most adults have this uncanny attraction or kind of this unconscious radar for members of the opposite sex, or in some cases, uh, depending on uh, uh, one's um, situation, the same sex, who, in ways often initially imperceptible, resemble psychologically, if not physically, the parent with whom we have the difficulties. And these are the people that we tend to fall in love with or who we get involved with. And, And then again, he's saying that we choose them unconsciously. And that's what I think is really fascinating because I even remember growing up thinking, you know, 
Um, how does that work? How does someone choose someone unconsciously that then they say, man, just like my mom or just like my dad. But uh, and again, it's not perfect. It's not everyone. Everyone is not doing that. So I don't want you to think about, holy cow, I've, you know, I've chosen my mother. I've chosen my father. Um, but there might be some traits there that you would hope to heal with your um, in choosing your partner again subconsciously. Because he even says, uh, I love this, he says that, that this is the nature of, of a neurosis. It's a blind spot. Because who would consciously choose and then remain with a partner who is rejecting, unavailable, and emotionally or physically abusive? Because that would be what Dr. Diamond calls masochism. But that, in this case, it's not. This is a powerful repetition compulsion at play. So that wounded or rejected or abandoned little boy or girl is still trying to win their, their parents' love. So in order for that repetition compulsion to play out, then this love interest uh, must, by definition, possess at least some of the emotional deficits or traits as did the original parent. So Dr. Diamond goes on to say that is what re repetition compulsion is all about, a recreation of these relationship dynamics to provide an opportunity this time to change the outcome. So that is what our inner child is thinking. They're thinking, okay, this time I'm going to get this right. I'm going to, I'm going to show them the love. I'm going to stay there with them. I'm going to hang in there. I'm going to meet their emotional needs. I'm going to do everything I can. And, uh, and then that is going to then fix this, this relationship that I never was able to fix. So can we fix them? Or, you know, uh, as Dr. Diamond says, transform them, cure them. Not very likely. The rational part of our adult brain knows that that's the case. But it's that uh, that inner child that is still trying to figure that out, just like they were doing with their parents. And what's even probably more frustrated for our subconscious is that when we were young, we had no clue what was going on. And now as we step back, sometimes we even think, what am I doing? You know, why do I keep putting myself in these situations where my partner is un un uh, un unemotional, that they are emotionally unavailable? And then we keep going back to there and back to there. So how do we resolve this repetition compulsion? Um, Dr. Diamond says it's with great difficulty because we have to get rid of this defense mechanism itself. He says that uh, the repetition compulsion, it's there because it defends us against these experiences of all those feelings that we denied during our childhood about our imperfect parents or ourselves. Um, he goes on to say that these feelings of like anger, rage, despair, hopelessness, all these things that we were in a, unequipped to cope from then, and then we continued avoiding into adulthood, we, we kind of now have to face. And that's part of what you try to do when you're working with someone in therapy, that in order to heal, um, we kind of have to maybe step, take a step back and say, what are we trying to, to get from our relationship with our partner? And, and that's that nature where we find that a lot of the things that we're trying to change. It's basically we're trying to fit them into this mold of, you know, let me fix my previous relationships through you. And uh, instead of really working on our own, what I like to call emotional baseline, kind of owning our own part of the dance. And uh, because, you know, the, the bottom line is uh, we cannot change the past. We can't undo those emotional wounds that we had as a kid, but uh, we can, you know, and a lot of times this is that part that is powerful, I think, in therapy, where we can allow ourselves to really kind of feel frustrated or, or some rage around that we never were quite able to maybe get that relationship itch scratched when we were a bit younger. And, uh, and over time, you know, it's nice to be able to learn how to forgive those in our past that maybe harmed us. And, uh, and then what Dr. Diamond says is with this courageous, conscious acceptance, then the repetition compulsion like the past loses its power over us in the present, which I think is a huge, huge thing to do. So as we kind of then admit that, all right, what, what am I trying to do? Why am I trying to continue to go into this relationship that maybe won't be healthy and, uh, and try to just beat my head over and over again, trying to um, just force, you know, what I want fixed into there? Or how do we then go step, take a step back, disengage from some of the, I don't know, maybe the madness or some of the crazy making, some of the gaslighting, some of the emotional, maybe emotional abuse. 
and uh, and why are we trying to continue to go back in there? And, and this repetition compulsion gives us a little bit of an insight that hey, maybe we're trying to fix something that uh, that you know we're trying to fix something that we've been carrying with us for a long time. So that's my uh, that's my plug to go through and work that out. Figure that figure out what you're trying to do there. What are the some of the, those emotional wounds? That, uh, that you're maybe carrying forth and projecting onto your partner. So the key to repetition compulsion, again, is being able to be aware of it. And then that's where I really do feel like, now let's go back to the scenario where somebody says to me that their picker is broken. Well, you know, let's figure out what, what is that that you're trying to kind of work through in your partner? Or more than that, let's go back and look at take a look at, the again, accepting that uh, this is kind of all of the things that have happened up to this point. But let's take a look at what your personal uh, values are and what are your goals. If your goals are to have someone that really does want to go on, uh, you know, go on walks with you, wants to go to the movies with you, wants to go on vacations with you, wants to sit there and read books with you or watch TV with you or that sort of thing. And those values are more about an attachment or a connection or, you know, those sort of things. And then those values need to drive that goal in the new relationship. And the problem is a lot of times when people jump out into a new relationship, they seek just that 180 degree opposite thing of what they were missing in their, pre- in, the, in, their, in their relationship before. And so this is a part where I feel like all of these wonderful therapeutic things start to come into play. So if you can kind of identify, all right, what are my personal values? Not values that have been foisted upon me over time, values that people are telling me that I should believe or what are the things that are truly important to me and then kind of setting those relationship goals based off of your individual values and at that point you can kind of take a little bit more action toward uh, looking for the person that you want to be but I do believe and this is the part where there is no you know there's no hard and fast rule of how long do you stay out of the quote game in a breakup I feel like this is the part where if you're doing your self-care kind of doing maybe some work with a good old therapist that sort of thing that you can really identify what is going to be important moving forward. Because I guarantee you when you get out there into the dating world, that one of the first things that you'll do is just be captivated by somebody that is the exact opposite of uh, the relationship that you just came out of, which again, can be a good thing. But I've watched people, you know, I watched a person one time come out of a relationship where the person did incredibly well financially, but they were so, so emotionally controlling. So this woman comes out of the relationship and then immediately meets someone that is so emotionally available um, but, uh, just, you know, not very reliable or dependable on, in so many other ways. And so this person went immediately to the emotional availability, but then kind of did not uh, take into consideration a lot of the things that would have helped this person based on their own values, values of being able to provide for kids and that sort of thing. So, um, so again, being able to be very, very aware of what is really important to them and uh, not have a blind spot to some of these things that uh, they might be not might be overlooking. So the key, um, figure that out, figure out those values, kind of look toward those relationship goals, step back, do your own self-care. But uh, that concept of repetition compulsion is pretty fascinating. Again, it's that concept of trying to work through a lot of the things that we maybe went through in our childhood and uh, trying to work those things through with our partner. So uh, takeaways for today, I would say that uh, one of the big ones is if you if you are if you do find yourself yeah, out in the dating world again, or you're trying to navigate a new relationship, um, go do a little bit of work around that. Take a step back and say, all right, what are these things that I'm trying to work through from my childhood? And uh, and I do think it's worth maybe a session or two to go take a little bit of an exploration about. All right, what what was that relationship like with my mom and dad? And then be prepared to kind of feel, you know, okay, I don't want to talk bad about them, that sort of thing. You know, totally normal. But then uh, what what was in that relationship that maybe you did not quite get worked out that you need to be aware of so that you're not projecting that onto a new partner so that uh, you can indeed um, fix your picker? 
feel like that didn't quite have the impact at the end. Anyway, uh, hey, thanks for uh, taking the time to uh, be with me here on the virtual couch today. Um, I think I have another bonus episode. I do. Bonus episode coming up later on this week. And uh, then I will see you back next week with uh, some more good old evidence-based topics that will hopefully uh, help you in your relationships, your self-esteem, and uh, all kinds of things moving forward. So I'll see you next time on the virtual couch. Compressed emotions flying past our heads and out the other end. The pressures of the daily grind is wonderful. Elastic waste and rubber ghost are floating past the midnight hour. They push aside.